Morning, everyone. My name is Tom. Like Brad said, I'm the creative ministry uh, leader here at, at South Baptist Church. I also do some other different things like youth leading. Um, I drum as well. I don't know whether that makes me a musician or not, but you can decide that for yourselves. Um, uh, I'm here to, to bring you the, the word. I'm here to preach to you. Um, and like Brad said, we're continuing with our series on the unsung heroes of the Bible. So the people that um, have done, done faithfully what God has asked them to do, but yet we don't often talk about, you might not know of them that well. So I'll try to choose a, a few that, um, that you haven't ever heard of before. We'll, we'll see how I go. Um, my sermon kind of continues on from what Lauren was, was saying last week. If you were here or if you're watching on the the podcast, you would have heard Lauren talking about uh, Rahab, the unsung hero Rahab, who helped the two Israelite spies um, when they were in the promised land. They were spying out the land. Rahab helped them. And Lauren's sermon was all about saying yes to God's call, um, saying yes to what God is asking you to do, and then doing it from there. So I thought I'd quickly start with a, a little quote about heroism. Um, it's important to know what we're talking about. Um, so I've got this quote for you. Four or five moments. That's all it takes to be a hero. Everyone thinks it's a full-time job. Wake up a hero. Brush your teeth a hero. Go to work a hero. Not true. Over a lifetime, there are only four or five moments that really matter. Moments where you're offered a choice. So it's talking about not being heroic all the time. Um, think about the heroes in your own life. Do you think that they are heroic all the time? You know, everything they do is some marvellous work of heroism and bravery and courage. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, for me, cricket tends to throw up a, a few different heroes. You'll see a batsman make a, a century against all odds or a bowler um, bowl out an opposition team, you know, remarkably. Um, but you don't see them do that all the time. There's only sort of one or two games where they've really stood up and been a hero for the team, but yet um, yet the rest of the time they're just doing their thing, they're batting, they're bowling, they're chasing a red ball around a green field, um, or they're having a completely shocking game and they, they aren't really participating that much at all. They seem to be doing a lot more time sitting down than they are actually playing the game. But you only remember them for those one or two great moments that they've had on the field. And so Bible heroes, they don't tend to be any different. So you've got Moses, you've got David, uh, Peter, Paul, those sorts of characters. Um, they've got their moments of weakness that they have. But, you know, there's one or two defining moments that have happened to them which are, are truly heroic, you know, that truly cement them in your minds as heroes. So the main goal of my message this morning is to spur you on to see those moments in your life. Um, God has designed each of us for a purpose. He wants us to fulfill what he is calling us too. So I, I want to get you to, um, to see those few moments, those defining heroic moments, and, and to, to act on them, to act on what God is calling you to do. So I'll introduce you to our three heroes that we've got this morning. Um, we've got Deborah, Barak, and Jael. And you can find their stories in Judges uh, 4 and 5. Now, Deborah and Barak you may have heard of a little bit. Um, but JL, I would imagine, is a bit of an, um, a bit of a mystery to you, a bit of an enigma. Who is this JL, and, and what did she actually do? Uh, we'll find out in a second. But um, I've got a confession to make. 
Lauren got away with it last week because Brad was off on holidays, but um, Brad's sitting right here and I can't get away with it, so I've got to come clean. Um, my heroes are technically not unsung. Um, in Judges chapter 4, we hear their story about how, they, um, how they've gone about and done God's work in, in the world, but then in Judges 5, it's more like Deborah, Barak and JL, the musical. Um, they actually write a song and sing a song about what they've done. So they are literally sung heroes, but I'm hoping that you'll give me some grace in the comments and that you won't be uh, too harsh or switch off, hang around. Uh, I promise I've got some good stuff. So I'll read you their stories from Judges 4. So I'll read verses 1 to 10, and then I'll skip into verses 17 to the end. So here we go. So again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagoyim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, <clears throat> and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. I'll skip to verse 17. Sisera, meanwhile fled on foot to the tent of Jael. So I'll just fill you in. Sisera went out to meet the Israelites in battle. Obviously his army lost because God was against him. And so Sisera has now got off of his chariot and he's fleeing on foot. Um, Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, "'Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid.' So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is there anyone in the tent, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple, into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with the tent peg through his temple, dead. On that day, God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites, and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed him. It's a brutal story, isn't it? Um, in good 
judges fashion, we get this really brutal story about a, a guy getting uh, a tent peg hammered through his head. Um, it hardly makes a, a good bedtime story, I, I don't think. Um, I remember when uh, my dad and when Pastor Mum would um, would read us uh, bits of the Bible before we went to sleep at night, and I can't say we ever covered that one. Um, I tend to remember reading that one a lot later on in life rather than um, uh, before bed when I was younger. Needless though, um, nevertheless I should say, but we learned a lot from our three heroes about who God chooses to use in bringing about his plans in the earth. So I've got three lessons for us this morning about the type of people that God uses um, and I'll sum it up with this one phrase. God uses who he chooses as they are with what they have. He uses who he chooses as they are with what they have. So lesson number one, who he chooses. Um, in Judges 4 verses uh, 4 to 5, we see Deborah being this leader of Israel. She's camped under, under a, a tree that is named after her. She's um, in the hill country and the Israelites are coming to her to get their... Um, almost their judicial issues sorted out. She's settling disputes between them. She's judging them. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. A lot of the commentaries sort of pick up Deborah's presence in Judges 4 as a big issue. Um, is Deborah being the leader over Israel a good thing or a bad thing? Um, it's an unlikely role for her character to have, to be this judicial political leader over Israel. Um, and it drags up the age-old argument of complementarianism versus egalitarianism. So are women allowed to be in leadership or not? Um, some people on one side of the argument see Deborah's presence here as a triumph. Uh, God is affirming women in leadership, you know, slam dunk, checkmate, egalitarians are on the board, wonderful. Um, but other people see the same story and they read it uh, with Deborah being a bit of an indictment on the leadership of Israel. The men are too weak to lead and they're placed under the authority of a woman. And if you remember back to Genesis 3, we all see what happens when women get to make decisions. It's a, a bit of a poor joke, but that's how people actually see, um, see this story. So if I was asked whether I see this as a triumph of, uh, of Deborah's presence as leader over Israel as a triumph or an indictment, I'd say this, that I disagree. Now, I disagree that that's the point of Judges 4. I think it misses what it's trying to say. Uh, when we look at Deborah's character, we see a person of strength and faith and someone with a very close relationship with God. She's leading the people, she's judging faithfully, and she's also a prophet. Um, she's the mouthpiece for the word of God to the Israelites. We can clearly see that God uses whoever he wants. If they are his people then it doesn't much matter what they look like or where they serve. So this brings me to the first challenge this morning. Do we disqualify ourselves because we don't see ourselves as right enough to be used by God? Or do we disqualify others because we don't see them as right enough to be used by God? Do I ignore people because they are too old or too young? Do I only let people in the right positions speak to me? Do I shy away from the positions where God could use me because I don't see myself as right for them? 
It actually doesn't matter what gender Deborah is in this story. God has clearly raised her up and she's being faithful in that call. She is unexpected in that position, but that's how God works, isn't it? By raising up unexpected people. When we look at at Moses, he's this baby that was cast to the mercy of the Nile River. He grew up in Pharaoh's household and fled Egypt after murdering someone. And yet he comes back and he leads the Hebrews out of slavery. It's a little unexpected. David, little shepherd boy who can't hold a sword or a shield, and yet he defeats the giant Goliath. little unexpected. And Jesus, God come to earth as a human. God come to earth not just as a king human or an important human, but as a baby, vulnerable and growing up and learning. And instead of following the expected, um, the expected, uh, following the expectations of that day that the Messiah was going to come and defeat all of Israel's enemies, he actually died for them. A little unexpected. God works in unexpected ways. I'll read to you from 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26 to 29. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly of this world and despised things, and the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. And right at the end of that chapter in verse 31, it says, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So Deborah, Moses, David, me, you, everyone, we're all vessels for God's glory to shine through when we're being used by him. Uh, We're all nothing in and of ourselves. So I feel like I'm proof that 1 Corinthians is true that God is using the the foolish and the weak things of this world. Um, You don't have to be right enough for God to use you. Age, gender, anything. You just have to say yes. just have to say yes to God. God can use who he chooses. Right here, lesson number two. God uses who he chooses as they are. God uses who he chooses as they are. As they are. Um, So we see this in Barak's story a little bit, in verses 6 to 10. So Deborah sends for Barak, and she tells him to take 10,000 men up to this mountain, and God is going to deliver the enemy into Barak's hands. But Barak decides that he isn't going to go unless Deborah goes with him. Um, So Deborah tells him that she's going to go with him, she's not going to abandon him but that he won't get the honour for this victory. Um, And verses 9 and 10 make a big showing of letting you know exactly where Deborah is. There's two verses, and in both of them, it lets you know that Deborah is going with Barak. Barak hasn't said, oh, you know what, actually, I've got it. But he is relying on Deborah to go with him. And so we see a big difference between Deborah and Barak. Um, And that big difference is their faith in God. Deborah's faith is so great um, but Barak seems to be so small. And Deborah is acting as that mediator between Barak and God. Barak is relying on Deborah's presence as a sign that God's presence is there. And he seems to be completely in the dark about what God is actually 
capable of. He's relying on Deborah's faith to be his own faith. Um, So it's clear to see that he doesn't have perfect faith in God. He doubts and he asks for proof. He's a lot like Gideon, who appears later in Judges, um, who doubts and asks for proof from God. But God still uses Barak without his perfect faith, without his super close relationship with God. God doesn't require perfect faith to begin using people. He meets Barak where he's at. He doesn't hear Barak say, unless Deborah goes with me, I'm not going to go, and then reply to him, okay, wrong answer, buddy. See you later. We're going to find someone else. That's it. You're out. Um, He doesn't ask Deborah, who is this joker that you found me? Can you go be better and find someone else, please? I mean, why did you choose this guy? God wants to use Barak to accomplish his plans on the earth. So here's the second challenge for this morning. Do we disqualify ourselves because we don't think we're good enough for God to use? Or do we disqualify others because we don't think they're good enough for God to use? My faith isn't good enough. My serving isn't good enough. My Bible reading isn't good enough. So that means God can't use me. Do you have so high an opinion of yourself and so low an opinion of God that you believe that you have to be good enough for God to use you? The rest of Judges, mostly, show that you don't have to be good enough. So you've got Gideon, who is remarkably faithless and cowardly. He's asking God for proof after sign after proof that he's going to be with him and going to win the victory for him. You've got Jephthah, who is this character who makes a very rash vow to God, not realising the type of the type of God that he is. Um, he sacrifices his firstborn daughter um, because he, realize, he thinks that that's what God wants from him when it's not at all. And then you've got Samson right at the end of the book who is chasing after women, absolute womanizer. Um, he portrays God for a woman and yet has the audacity to come back later in life and ask God to renew his strength once more um, for his last moments on earth. And even in the New Testament, we see this as well. Um, Peter isn't this perfect dude. He was just a fisherman called by Jesus. Um, He completely misunderstands what Jesus is even on earth to do uh, while walking with him. And then he denies Jesus three times. And then even in the early church, he gets called out by Paul for trying to appease the Jews and not looking after the Gentiles or not embracing the Gentiles. And don't even get me started on Paul actually a first century terrorist just going around killing people if god can use him he can use anyone that's a whole other sermon though so god meets these people where they're at and he uses them in his plans god is so gentle with us he wants to use us Um, psalm 103 says this for he knows our frame and he is mindful that we are dust he knows how good we are or we aren't just wants us to say yes. Um, One important thing to note is that God does actually honour that better faith though. Um, In verse 9 we see Deborah rebuking, might be too strong a word, but Deborah telling Barak that because he's chosen a path which includes a little less faith, that God was going to give the honour to a woman. 
God actually does want us to say yes and then just do what he's calling us to straight off the bat. He honours that faith more than a faith that requires proof. Um, and this isn't just an Old Testament idea either. It's not something that sort of has been but doesn't apply anymore. Um, Jesus picks up this idea in his Gospels, in, in John's Gospel, sorry, um, in chapter 20, verses 28 to 29. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Clearly this perfect faith thing has at least some merit. God meeting us where we're at and using us despite what our faith is like though is for the purpose of our growth. Yes, perfection would be ideal for God, I'm sure. If he just said the thing and we went off and did the thing, that would be perfect for him. But in the gentleness of God is the chance for growth, being led where we have never gone before. Uh, Barak saw God move in a way that he'd never seen before by going out to battle, even with his, um, his qualifications, you know, I need Deborah there. He saw God move in a way that he'd never seen before, which had grown his faith. And when you go out with God using you, you're going to see things that you've never seen before and it's going to grow your faith. God wants to use you, so ask your questions. Ask someone to go with you, but make sure that your answer is yes. You don't have to be perfect for God to use you. You don't have to read your Bible enough or have enough faith or be enough in any other respect. God still wants to grow you in your faith. So say yes at the end of the day. God uses who he chooses as they are. Right here, lesson three. Stay with me. We're, we're almost there. So God uses who he chooses as they are with what they have. With what they have. So let's have a look at the star of Judges 4, um, in my opinion anyway, which is Jael. Uh, I'll read to you from Judges 4, verses 17 to 22. It'd be super exciting if I didn't turn my phone off, hey? hey Judges 4, verses 17 to 30 to 22. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say, no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. Seems a bit superfluous to say, but sure. Just then, Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said. I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera, with the tent peg through his temple, dead. How incredible is Jael? Um, there's absolutely no context to why she does this at all, to the way she, she treats um, this bad dude, Sisera. Um, in the eyes of, um, of sort of context, what she's doing is effectively throwing away the family alliance to the ruling power 
in that region. And doesn't she do it with such style and such um, definition? She doesn't just turn, uh, turn Sisera away. She doesn't just call him some nasty names as he goes on past, but she takes him in and pretends to care for him and then kills him in her tent. That's weird. Um, if you know me, you know that I love my biblical fun facts. So here's your one biblical fun fact for this Sunday. There are actually two people in the Bible that are called blessed among women. One of them is Mary, which is Jesus' mum, if you know the story. And the other is Jael. So in Judges 5.24, the Deborah, Barak, Jael, the musical, there is a line that says, uh, and and most blessed among women be Jael, something along those lines. She's the unlikely hero of this story, but yet so quickly forgotten. She accomplishes God's purposes with the tools that she has on hand. Um, Her family were tent dwellers, and so that meant that they were more than likely nomadic. Um, So they would have moved around, depending on what the pasture was like, sort of setting up tent, packing up tent, uh, moving their livestock around. So it should come as no shock that JL knows how to use a tent peg and a hammer pretty well. Um, And it's funny how we see some things as important and some other things as unimportant. Right? Surely Barak is the most important character in this, bio, in this um, story because he has a sword with him and he's waging war. Um, surely Jael is less important in this story because she's only got a tent peg and a hammer, right? But we do this in church. Um, some giftings are better or more useful than other giftings to the point that sometimes we make um, those ministries that surround the Sunday experience the be-all and end-all of our Christian engagement. Sometimes. Um, You know that I love a good story about my brother and myself. Um, Just to illustrate my points, and today, although church is looking a little bit different because we're online, it's not going to be any different. Will, I'm sorry, you've made it into my message again, buddy. Um, So a couple of years ago, I was having a big argument with my brother. Like it was like a a big, serious argument. But anyway, the comment came up um, from one of us about the difference that... Um, was apparent between our serving in church. Um, From my perspective, Will was all weekday, no Sunday in his serving, and I I didn't understand how that could be. But then in in my brother's perspective, I was all Sunday and no weekday in my serving, and he didn't know how that could be. We both saw each other as not fulfilling the call of being a Christian well enough. I took a lot away Um, from the, let's call it a conversation, that we had. Um, One thing was my ideas about Christian service, and they were totally broken. Um, My eyes were opened through that conversation to the different ways that we serve as Christians. Uh, Will uses the different giftings that he has, and I use the different giftings that I have. I can appreciate that although our relationships with God are based on the same foundational things, my brother and I serve God in vastly different ways because we've been gifted differently. The way God uses me and the way God uses Will is totally different because we have totally different things in our hands. Um, I have drumsticks very often in my hand, whereas Will has a meal during the week with someone. I have a sermon in my hand, whereas Will very often has a yarn or a conversation with whoever will care to listen. If we both stay faithful 
to using the skills and passions entrusted to us by God, we will both receive a warm welcome at the end of life's race by God who will be equally pleased that his children use their gifts to build the family of God. So my final challenge for this morning. Do you disqualify others because of what they have? Do you disqualify yourself because you don't think you have anything important to offer? Our three heroes in Judges 4 all have different things in their hands, different ways of achieving God's plan. In this story, the efforts of the heroes are left incomplete if one of them, if even one of them, is missing from the final picture. Deborah's word, when silenced, leaves the people of God suffering and without hope of relief. Barak's sword, when sheathed, leaves the word empty and unfulfilled, and Sisera is never driven to the tent of Jael. Jael's hammer and peg, when left idle, allow the enemy to escape and regroup. When the family of God gather together and bring all their giftings to bear, the family is grown. When we work together in harmony, appreciating the talkers and the whisperers, the upfront and the invisible, the weekend and the weekday, that's when the family of God is grown on the outside and strengthened on the inside. So what have you got in your hands at the moment? Um, What are your unique opportunities given to you by God? Where are you in life? What are your passions or talents? Are you trusting God with the things that you have in your hands? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your hobbies or interests. God has made us all unique to be unique. Oh my goodness, that's a hard word to say. That's a hard sentence to say. God has made us all unique to be used uniquely by Him. God uses who He chooses as they are with what they have. Um, obviously, we're doing church a little differently today um, with, in light of COVID-19. We're living in confusing times and uncertain times. And just over the last week, um, we've had to completely rethink the way that we uh, present church to you um, just so that we can uh, look after the safety and health of everyone coming here. But the world is in need of some heroes. Um, some of them are going to be the sung heroes, um, making vaccines or leading movements throughout this period of time, sort of helping lead through this difficult period um, of history. But there's plenty of opportunity for the unsung heroes to surface and show Jesus to the world around them. So regardless of how sung or unsung you are going to be, God is still calling us as Christians to rise up and to show love during this crisis. Maybe it's buying toilet paper and making sure people have enough in your little world. Maybe it's loving them from afar and being socially distant and yet sort of texting, ringing, emailing, Facebooking, um, encouraging them from a distance. God is still choosing people to go out and do what he is calling them to do. God is still meeting those of us who need that extra gentleness and letting us be involved in his plans in the earth. God is still using the normal, everyday things that we have in our hands to impact the people in our world. People who are worried, people who are panicked, people who don't have enough, and people who are hurting. But it all starts by saying yes. Yes to being chosen. 
Yes to being used where we are, where we are at in our faith. And yes to using what we have in our hands. Maybe this morning you feel like you aren't right enough or good enough or what you have isn't important enough to be used by God. But let me affirm this for you. You absolutely don't have to be. Let the stories of Deborah, Barak and Jael speak to you and say yes. Say yes whether you feel like you're right or not. Say yes whether you feel like you're good enough or not. Say yes whether you feel like what you have is important enough or not. And let God take care of the rest. Answer that call of God with a yes. Maybe this morning you are ready to say yes, but don't know where you are being called to. My prayer is that you would ask God earnestly and that he would show that to you. That he would grant you opportunities to be used by him. Seek and you shall find. Ask and it will be answered. Knock and the door will be opened. Be earnest and honest and God will give you what you need. Let me pray as I close. Heavenly Father, we thank you for technology and the ability to be able to to gather remotely and and safely during this time. Um, God, we lift up our, our world to you. We lift up our political leaders. We lift up our church leaders. And we just ask that you would grant them wisdom and clarity of thought in dealing with with this pandemic. Um, God, that you would help them to be measured in their actions, but yet uh, quick to do what is right. Heavenly Father, would you use us? Would you show us where we need to go? And would you enable us to go there boldly and go there well? God, would you help us to, um, to not worry about whether we're right enough or good enough or important enough, but just to say yes to where you're wanting us to go. And even if we've got to ask a clarifying question, even if we've got to ask ask someone to go with us, God, that you would meet us there and that you would be able to help us and that we would be able to join in on what you're doing in this earth. God, we love you. God, we thank you for your son's death on the cross, which has made a way to have life with you. Um, God, we thank you for loving us first. In your mighty, mighty name. Amen.